welcome to the Queen Trail Podcast. Meditation doesn't have to be sitting still and having an empty mind. The journey is such a beautiful thing because we are all on a journey. You want to make sure you have some kind of distribution plan, or at least have an idea of it, because you can make this really amazing film and it only gets seen by your family and friends. Old Hollywood is still intact. Every horse runs hard, but when they win, and they know it. They've got this little sass about them. It was pretty rough. I had to go into the water and with my med pack, swim to the beach, treat these guys, put them on my back, swim out to the helo. And I'm like, oh my God, I've never seen those before. And I said, what are those? And before I could even finish the sentence, she said, oh my God, you didn't touch them, did you? Even if monarchs go away and we never see one again, because there never will be monarchs again, if they die out. It is just a little indicator of larger threats my dad said, so what were you guys doing in the desert? And I said, we were taking nude photos. Hey everyone, welcome back. I hope you had a great week since the last time that we got together. I know that last episode I said I wasn't going to have updates at the beginning of my episodes, but I got several comments that my updates should stay. So I am going to put an update here because I had a lot of stuff going on this week and... I need to share. (laughs) I mean, Los Angeles has been dealing with biblical rain. I mean, apparently we got so much rain that we're supposed to be out of a drought, but it seems like every winter I read that, you know, but we really got a lot of rain. I think part of the problem that we end up being in a drought again come summer is that the infrastructure is actually not set up to collect all of that water, which is a shame. Somebody needs to come up with that. Um, You know, a lot of times that comments made and people are like, you think that's rain? Yes, it really was rain. And if you've listened to my episodes, you know that a couple of years ago, Sophie and I went to Costa Rica and we got there right in the middle of a tropical depression. And if it rains anywhere, it definitely rains in Costa Rica. And that is just like crazy rain. And this rain was comparable to that. It just was a lot. And my yard is super muddy and there's weeds sprouting up everywhere. But also a lot of my plants are really digging this weather. And Vladimir and the cats have a vegetable box out there that I've mentioned before. And it is probably two feet tall everything that's in there because it's dandelions and lettuces and catnip so the rain's been pretty nuts and as much as we need it and I know that we need it and I hope for it every winter it's also been so much so quick packed into a few days that it's kind of overwhelming and so it's been really dark in the mornings and really foggy a couple of days I posted some pictures on my socials one of the foggy days it was just enveloped in this cloud and it was like heaven came down to touch the earth and it was pretty cool but because of the darkness there was one day last week I put on one of my favorite dresses it's kind of a plain shift the pattern on there is like a zigzag machine so it looks the same on both sides and I got dressed at about 5 a.m that morning went about my business 
totally thinking I was looking cute. I put this really pretty little top on underneath it and I had my boots on and took a summer dress and turned it into a winter outfit. I was feeling super pleased with my OOTD. I get home at 5.45. So now it's 12 hours that I've been wearing this dress and been out in public and in clear view of many people. And that is when I noticed the tag on the outside with the washing instructions and the drying instructions. They had sewn that tag by the knee and I just happened to look down. I don't know why I didn't notice it all day long, but there you go, it was a really busy day. And I just thought, oh my goodness, nobody else noticed it either. So I guess that's a good thing. There is a tag up by the neck, but my hair is really long and I'm just thanking my hair for covering it up. So that happened this week, and I am looking forward to a little bit of a sunshine. I wanted to touch on this keto diet that I'm on that is going fabulously. And one of the things that I love about it, or at least that I love about this time, because I don't think it's keto specific, is the options that are out there. They have proliferated in the last several years. And so you can substitute flowers, you can substitute sweeteners. I personally really like the monk fruit sweetener. It doesn't have that icy sensation that some of the sweeteners have when you bite into things. And it also doesn't have that metallic aftertaste. And it really seems like it works exactly like sugar in all of the recipes that I've been using. So it's my favorite right now. And it's funny what I've started to realize about myself, which as a former fitness nutrition coach and having counseled many people in dieting, I know to be true is that dieting is stressful, right? Anytime we change anything, I mean, we're creatures of habit and comfort. We don't like change, even though we say that we do. We say that we want to. We come up with a lot of excuses. I know I do. Um, We procrastinate. We (laughs) do a lot of things to not have to change. So when we force ourselves to change things, there's stress, which, you know, maybe at its etiology is actually fear. And one of the things that I notice about myself as I'm going through this diet is that the reason I can tell you about monk fruit is that I've been making sweet things. I decided to figure out how to make keto alfajores, which are Argentinian sandwich cookies that are just so delectable. They have dulce de leche in the middle, and then they're rolled around the edges in coconut. So I made keto alfajores. And I made keto carrot cake. I think the carrot cake lends itself more. Spice cakes in general, I would say, would lend themselves more towards the keto flowers because they're a heavier bread. But both of these desserts turned out phenomenal. Just absolutely delicious. And I've made keto frappuccinos and I've made today, I made some of those pink and white frosted animal cookies that I'll tell you about in a minute. The stress is that 
for me that I'm not going to be able to eat sweet stuff on this diet. And it sucks to have to give things up, you know, and I've talked about how dieting or eating more healthfully should not be a stressful experience. And I got to thinking about this interview with Dolly Parton years ago. I must have been in my late teens or early 20s, and I don't remember who she was talking to. I mean, it it might have been Oprah. And she had just lost a good amount of weight. She looked fabulous. And they were talking about her diet and how she had achieved this weight loss and how she was maintaining it. And over that period of time, so it's been decades since I saw that interview, she has not gained any of her weight back, which is fantastic. Clearly, she's doing something that's really sustainable. And I remember that one of the things that she said, and she made a big deal out of it, and I thought it was so silly at the time, was that she had this deep, stressful fear of not having sweets in her kitchen. And so she kept her refrigerator full of sweet things and her pantry was full of sweet things. And she didn't have to eat it. She just had to know that it was there so that she could feel safe and comfortable. And as crazy as that sounds, I am completely relating to that. I'm making these sweet things packing them in the freezer and just knowing, just knowing that there is something sweet, that I don't have to give up my carrot cake, that I don't have to give up my cookies, and that they are available in the fridge for when I want them makes me feel less stressed about pursuing this path of healthier eating. So, Today I made these pink and white frosted animal cookies and my friend Stacy Bettencourt, whom you can listen to on episodes 48 and 49, she has so much great information. She is a PhD, Dr. Stacy Bettencourt. And check out the show notes because you'll want to follow her on YouTube. She's got a series on how to use a planner effectively, efficiently, and to reach your goals. But she commented that unfortunately, she's got allergies that keep her from enjoying some of her favorite foods, which is really a bummer. And I know how that feels. And a lot of times dieting and having to deal with allergies towards foods that you have loved for a long time brings on the same kind of stress because you feel like you have to give things up. One of the interesting things that I think is associated with that stress is that foods like these pink and white frosted animal cookies have this childhood nostalgia associated with them, right? I remember as a kid, just the fact that these cookies were in the kitchen seemed like unicorns and rainbows were in there. And they actually brought a lot of happiness to me, just having this little bowl of these cookies. And I hardly ever watch TV now, so I'm not watching ads. But at the time, I was watching cartoons and the ads that were aimed at kids in between cartoon episodes were for junk food like these cookies. And so there's a connection there, right? Like they're really fun. 
they're connected to something that you really like, which is cartoons, and somebody that you love is giving them to you. And so now you've got this neurological pathway that's been created. And the more times that that action and experience is repeated, the more hardwired that path becomes. And so you start associating food with these memories and with these feelings. And so there's a lot of emotional connections that come with food, you know, like your favorite recipe that your mom made or that your grandmother made or, you know, joining her in the kitchen to make something and learning something new. All of those things do start building those pathways in your thinking. And it was funny because it wasn't until I was talking to Stacy that I realized that just working my way up to making these animal cookies created feelings that were very similar to when I was a little kid. From going out to find the mini cookie cutters, because I had to hunt those down. I bought so many cookie cutters, and I still have some that are going to show up in the next couple of days, to finding the sugar-free white chocolate chips, because you can find sugar-free chocolate chips just about anywhere. But the white chocolate chips are nowhere to be found. So I had to order those to getting, you know, the right sprinkles, those little balls that are on top of these cookies. And just making them. I mean, there was like this childlike excitement that was just simmering and I wasn't even really noticing it. And now that I'm talking about it and that I talked to Stacy about it, it was like, holy cow, that was there. That connection to these pink and white frosted animal cookies that was just so great when I was a kid. And I, you know, I'm so far removed from that, that it was there And it's an emotion that I've clearly felt before, but I wasn't really paying it any mind. And definitely now that I can pinpoint it and now that I've got my cookies and, you know, I've got them packed away in the freezer. I ate a couple of them. They were delicious. They tasted identical to my memory taste profile of those cookies. So I I don't know that they're exactly the same. My taste buds have probably changed a lot, but to me, they tasted exactly like those cookies and I'm super thrilled that I have them. And I have them in the kitchen. I have them in my freezer. So whenever I want to have these cookies, they're in there. And that makes me happy. Like I literally connected with my childhood self there for a minute. So I'm bringing that up simply because of that strength that those connections have. Um, they're real, they're there, you know, it's not just a matter of not eating something, or a matter of eliminating certain foods from your diet. Um, I just wanted to put that out there, not making any recommendations, but letting you know about my experience, both personally, and what I know from having coached clients in the past. Now, the really funny thing is that the recipe itself was not a cookie cutter type recipe. There was too much butter in this dough, which was kind of disappointing. And also, even though I had them on a silicone mat, when I started to pull the cookies up, they were really brittle. And so I thought, oh, this is a bad recipe. This is not going to work. But once I dipped them and they kind of fell apart (laughs) in the dipping because it's just the wrong recipe and let them dry, like I said, they taste exactly like that. They don't look 
like animals. They stretched out all over the place. And Ezzy, who, uh, Justin Ezzy, who was in my last episode, 58, he's a stand-up comic, a funny, funny guy. So if you didn't listen to that one, please go back and listen to it. He said, how are these animal cookies? And then he said, I get it. They're amoebas. And that's literally what they looked like because they stretched out all over the place. Um, So yeah, so that's where uh, my diet is right now and the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm discovering about myself and hopefully in sharing those things with you, it helps you. um, I usually record the intro and the extra the day before I release an episode. So it's the 15th of January right now. So we're 15 days into the new year. If anybody made one of those diet resolutions, hopefully what I'm sharing with you is helpful to keep you on track or get you back on track so that you're not beating yourself up over not fulfilling one of your goals. Okay, woo, I got really long winded there. And so I'm going to segue into today's In the Company of Friends talk by taking one step backwards so I can take a few forwards, which is to go back to when I was talking about suddenly connecting with my childhood self through making these cookies. I love this episode because it's with my dear, dear friend, Cindy McCann, who is an expert in early childhood education, severely mentally handicapped children, And she's also a life coach and a dream builder coach with a focus on the parents of special needs children. This whole episode goes beyond that. It goes to every child, the whole child. And it's about cracking the code to connecting with your child. And a lot of it is by getting back in connection with your own childhood wonder. So without further ado, please grab a cuppa and join Cindy McCann and me in this In the Company of Friends talk. Enjoy. The biggest thing I've done in the last year and a half, well, a year, a little over a year, year and three months, I became a life mastery coach and a dream builder coach. So I became fully certified in two different programs with the Brave Thinking Institute. And we help people's dreams come true. We're success coaches. I, I spent the year um, working on my health. I got a knee replacement in August, which has been life changing. It makes me feel about 20 years younger. Oh, wow. I've just been working on on becoming my best self. So when I show up as a coach, I've done a lot of personal coaching, but I haven't done it as a business until now. And one of the things I'm looking to go to is to work with parents of children with autism that, you know, with with autism, often you have a child who is aloof. and, And I've had many parents in the past that had difficulty connecting with their child. And that's one of the things that I learned to do really well is to connect quickly and easily with kids with autism, at least in the early stages of their development. So I kind of want to combine that in with helping people's success and dreams come true is also helping them connect with their kids. So I very much am still interested in autism and families that have that journey. I know there's a new word, neurodiversity. Have you heard that? I have heard that term. I didn't realize that it was used for autism. I think it's used for a lot of things. It's just coming across my path now. I just got a book that I started reading. So anyway, but I'm interested and I don't know what the respectful way to address things are yet. So I may have some updating to do, but I actually have a master's degree in severely handicapped, 
bachelor's degree in communicative disorders, and I have a K through 12 credential and a special ed credential. So I have a few credentials. Yeah. Well, you know, it's obvious that you are an expert in what you're doing and not just that. I'm not, I don't consider myself an expert. I consider myself a person that is just on the same journey of learning and expanding and been blessed enough to have a lot of exposure. You know, we didn't know when I came in, inclusion was new. We didn't even know who could include or how we would include them. And so we started with kids that were severe and kids that were high, and we tried to figure out who could include. So, you know, I just had a big journey. I just came through special ed in LA Unified at the most gorgeous time. You know, I was just at the forefront of so many new things. I had a blast doing it, Sylvia. It was never a job to me. It was always a passion. There was a lot of approachability as a parent coming in to this inclusion program that was going on at the time, So, which was really beautiful. I think that the team that was over at the Angels Gate campus were there for a reason. I mean, you all were angels at that time to a lot of parents and to the kids. <laughs> you know, that was the time of my life that <laughs> the years spent up there with, I mean, we're all still connected. That whole staff still gets together. We had such a journey. It's such a beautiful staff. Wasn't it? It was. I know. I, 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 I have been so blessed with the people I worked with. It was never a one woman show. I guarantee you that. You know, honestly, the best teacher I ever worked with was Miss Patty, my assistant. Mm-hmm. And, and she has no credentials from a university, but she was intuitive and sensitive. And, and she learned from me and from Miss Karen and from Vera and everybody around her. And she became so brilliant at tapping into the connection with the kids and expanding their trust and their skills. And it, it was just an honor to be in sync with her. And, and in the last few years we got, so we were reaching for the same thing at the same time, <laughs> sit, talking to the same kids, saying the same things doing the same things. And we would just laugh because we were just that in sync. And it was insanely fun. How wonderful. Your goal was to value every child and basically inspire a sense in them of who they were. And also that each one of them was perfect just the way that they were. And walking through any of the classrooms, there was always a lot of dancing and singing. You had that beautiful campus. <laughs> we did. Fort MacArthur Museum was there, the tunnels, the yearly tribal powwows. The kids would get to go and interact with the Native Americans that came through at a certain point. I think the Marine Mammal Rescue Center and the Oil Bird Facility might have been done because I think oh, there yes, was a little bit. Yep. Yep. There were visits to that. The Korean Bell, storytelling at the Korean Bell. There was so much fun and joy at that location. It really was. It was just this little oasis of learning and happiness. And you've described teaching as your daily prayer. My, Like I said, my journey was, was so special. And I looked at each child as this isn't just my job. I'm not just showing up to get through the day. Every day it was this child, as they walk through the door, I'm responsible to serve them in every way that I can to expand their journey to their next best self. And one of the things I learned from Maya Angelou, I heard the quote that every child should have someone light up for them when they walk in the room. I'm not quoting that correctly, but that was what it was. Every child should have somebody that lights up for them. So I got very deliberate about 
making sure that I lit up for each child when they got there, but also as many times as I could through the day so that they knew that they were special. Because the one thing I know is you don't know what took place with every child before they got to school. You don't know who slept in a car or on a street or didn't eat or saw their mom get beat up or or was sexually abused. We don't know anything about the homes that people don't want us to know. Mm-hmm. And so it was always about making it a safe, comfortable environment where a child felt loved, where we lit up their inner soul. Because I believe everybody is a infinite light being inside these physical bodies. And it's my goal even now. The thing I love most in my life right now is I just want to light people up. My goal for the rest of my life is just to intentionally light people up as many times and as often as I can, whether it's at the grocery store or playing on a hillside with a child. I mean, it really is still just the thing that inspires me and gives me passion and love and, and joy. That It's really all about that. But every child just deserves someone to see them at their highest good and their highest potential. And so that's kind of how I held each life as it passed through mine. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You've always, you know, both of my kids went through the program before heading on to elementary school. I really felt as a parent that they were in the best hands possible whenever I dropped them off at preschool. And just as a, a fellow adult um, and somebody who ended up working in education, I was just always in awe of what that program did and what all of you were able to accomplish because there was that unity and that cohesion and that sense of making the children that came into that program the most important people there every time. But there was so much joy and I've always seen you as such a joyful, passionate motivator who's just really dedicated and you were there to you know help transform lives through solution oriented positivity that is just lasting you know I, I think that when you so positively affect children like that at such an early time in their lives preschool they're you know three four five years old it is something that carries them through. You've started them off on the right foot for the challenges that life brings. Sylvia, one of my one of my um, values for my life is that life is supposed to be fun. And when you're three, four, and five, life shouldn't be stressful at school. It should be fun. And we had play-based curriculums. And the trick with the play-based curriculum isn't to just set out toys and let the kids play. There's skills that are being picked up that are going to turn into academic skills down the road. So when you're participating alongside them and you're modeling and you're having fun, these kids are learning. They're absorbing learning and they're learning how to problem solve. I didn't care so much about the rote skills as the being able to problem solve and and interact with their peers and have relationships and you know setting up for that type of success as they move forward. But really life is supposed to be fun and kids should be laughing and dancing and singing and tumbling. And I remember laying up on the hill with all the kids were up on the grassy hill. It was just this big expanse of grass and we're all laying on the grass looking at the clouds. And I turned to Lisa, one of my assistants at the time and said, can you believe their pain is to do this? (laughs) And it was because work and play and fun were just one thing for me. It was never a chore to go to work. It really wasn't. I truly, truly loved that time in my life when I got to be that involved with all these little beautiful souls, you know, and and to hear a child giggle, there's nothing better than that, you know. Right, 
right. laugh and, and splash in water. And I mean, we used to do some pretty outside the box things. And here's the thing, LA Unified, because they didn't know how inclusion should look, and they opened this amazing place at the fort, nobody... Um, it was like being in a private school. It wasn't just being on black asphalt, which I spent many years in LA Unified at schools like that as well. But for the 15 years I was at the fort, it was grass and hills and a view of the ocean and, you know, wind and breeze and clouds and rains. And it was just this gorgeous thing. But I, I'll tell you one thing about that land. When we used to go up and you you brought it up, when the Indian tribes would come in the fall for their event, they would actually invite us up. Sylvia, and they would say, would you bring the children up? Because we want their sacred spirits to bless our event. Wow. Because that ground had been set apart as sacred Indian ground. That's why they would come to that location. And then in 2012, when they redid, refurbished the Korean bell, Miss Valdez was walking up to the bell with her class and they actually stopped her and said, we're getting ready to dedicate the bell. Would you bring your children here so their sacred spirits can bless our event? I remember you telling me about the Indian events. I didn't know the, about the Korean bell. That's beautiful. And they, you know, as a unit, it just kind of was like this beautiful energy that just vibrated off of these kids and, and the staff too, because you were so involved. And that's just a beautiful story. You know, I have to credit Vera Terrell. She was the first principal that was up there. Mm-hmm. And you know what? She was the first one to pick up a mop. She was the first one to pick up a child. She was the first one to lead us on. She was always involved with us. She wasn't just sitting in an office. And what we learned was your job is everything. Whatever's in front of you, take responsibility for it. And you know, we never had any division of only the assistants change diapers, only the assistants wipe the tables. No, it was we all did everything. And we all respected each other and honored each other's talents and, and abilities and it's just, like I said, we built true friendships, true family relationships. So yeah, that really added to those early years um, of discovery when we're, when we're just learning. You know, if you think about it, I came to the fort in 1997 and we were just still at the forefront of acknowledging autism in uh, high functioning kids and kids who could be in regular classrooms. And it was fun. We did, we, we just looked at every child and said, okay, let's see what you can do. And not what are you limited by, but what can you do? And I, I remember one experience, if you don't mind me sharing with the, this little girl, she was very intensive. She could hardly live in her body. Her skin just, ah, oh, she was just hard to live in her skin. And she didn't have much language. And I remember one day I'm sitting outside and, you know, the big wooden doll houses and they had the family of dolls that are stiff and just formed in certain poses and stuff. And we mm-hmm. had all different kinds of diversity in their families. But every day she would sit and sort those into different categories, but she'd never do it the same way. One day I'm watching her and, I'm, and it's just the two of us. And I said to her, I, I can't figure out what you're doing. And I watched her and I said, I see it. You have all the dolls with their hands in their pocket together and the ones without. She was so excited, Sylvia, that I understood what she was doing. She crawled on my lap and she kissed me on the cheek. Aww. And then from there, when she realized that I was looking to understand her, I remember reading a book to her inside, and it was a Winnie the Pooh book. She grabbed the book, she ripped out a page, and she ran across the room, and she matched it to some other Winnie the Pooh. I don't even remember what it was, it was a poster or what it was, but and matched it because she wanted me to understand that she was able to correlate and find things that were the same. That's what she was Mm -hmm. doing at that stage in her life. And 
you know, some teachers would have gotten mad or scolded her for tearing a page out. I was so delighted. I mean, can you imagine that child feeling for the first time that somebody gets them? Yeah. I mean, that, that for me was, that was a pivotal point. One of the pivotal points where I really learned you can't bring kids into your world until you go into their world. It's really about finding the cracks to connect with them in ways that, that maybe have been elusive for most people. Right. And that was one of the things, exactly what you just said, that struck me and has struck me, you know, since I've known you for, we're going on 20 plus years. That, and, and I think most people would say this, but, you know, I truly, truly believe that you're just such a beautiful human being oh, and you. that it's a true blessing and honor to have you in my life. Because I've learned, you know, not not only did you take good care of my kids so early on, and we've been able to stay connected all of this time, but you've taught me so much about connecting. And it's not about getting down to somebody's level. It's about returning to a place of wonder and opening your eyes in a, the way that children are seeing the world. Because by the time that we become adults, most of us, there's so many experiences that kind of have shut down that childhood wonder and perception of the world and that childhood joy. You know, kids are so quick to find happiness. And we've got to work, we've got to go through school. And you know, sometimes that's really stressful. There's so much stress that happens in between then and now. And By the time that you have children, you've got to find a way back through that path to get to what your kids are seeing in the world and how to connect with them and how to build that confidence within them of who they are and that they can be independent in the world and accomplish great things. And I learned so much of that from you. And it's like, that's exactly what you were doing every single day that you were teaching kids. And it's just so beautiful. Um, Do you have some tips for parents on how to get back to finding their childhood wonder so that they can really connect and bond with their children and provide the best learning opportunities for them? It really is truly the teaching comes when you get the connection. And like I mentioned earlier, you don't get to bring kids into your world really until you go into theirs. You provide an environment that's fun and full of play. But the way I always said it was just to kind of saddle up beside a kid and parallel play, you know, just watch what they're falling in love with and then start playing with the same thing, picking up the little dolls or picking up a car and or whatever they, they're loving. If they're lining up trains, line up some trains. Um, and then mess them up a little bit. And then, you know, one of the keys that I always tried to do with kids was to be the funnest thing in the room because it helped with, I didn't have many behaviors problems because kids always come to see what you're doing when it looks fun. And so fun is one of the ways that parents can connect too. You don't always have to be looking for the serious things. Just look for moments to engage, just being authentic with the child and and not trying to always push to see well, what's next. What can I do? How can I get him to look more more normal or communicate? Just love him. You know whether they have a diagnosis of autism or not or any other considered disability. They're still just kids that still just want to play. That still want to have fun, whether it's by themselves or with others. And they're a child first, so start there. Start just by nurturing, loving, playing, accepting. And 
figuring out what it is they want because we all want something. We're all looking for something in our lives that we care about and that we want to do and play and have. And and that's kids are too, whether it's with the dolls or uh, one little boy, he used to always had this map that he wanted to carry. And they were just maps he'd drawn on paper. And, mm-hmm. you know, at first, you know, we were just learning and was where we were going. There wasn't information how to do any of this. And first we thought, well, if we take his map, you know, then if he does the activity or whatever, then he gets it back. But then we thought, well, that's not fair. Why would we take away something that he loves and then make him earn it? Why not let him keep it in his pockets where he could touch it? So he had to keep it in his pocket. And when he finished, then he could take it out himself. But we didn't ever deprive him of the stuff that he loved. And I I know a lot of times when people are trying to get behaviors and things under control, they want kids to always work for something. But when you make it joyful... They do it because there's joy in it and fun in it. Mm -hmm. And the biggest things in connection is just really waiting, watching, and looking for those openings where you can go in and and see what delights your child and then recreating it as many times as you can. And did I answer that question? I kind of got winded there. No, no, no. This is what, you know, this is what the program is about. It's just having organic conversations. They just go wherever they go and they always turn out great because of that. Yeah, there's no real format to this. It's just me connecting with my friends and sharing their awesomeness. So So did you watch my TED Talk? I watched part of it. I just wondered, like I said, I've been a little quiet about it. But here's the good thing. Because I did that TEDx talk, I realized that I had let some paradigms come up and go into my way of performing it the way I really wanted to. And so since that time, I've hired a few different coaches to help me with speaking and writing. And I'm, I'm actually writing a children's book right now. Who are you? Yeah. And what's it on? It's a fiction? It's fiction. It's just, based, well, it's actually a true story, really. It, it's something that happened one morning. I don't want to give it away because I'm not ready to do that yet. But uh, it's just an incident of interacting with a child who wasn't feeling his best that day. And how we turned it into a superhero moment instead of a self-defeating day. And it's, it's going to be cute. That's wonderful. But, you know, those are things that spring from something that kind of felt like a little bit of a setback from what I expected it to be to where I want to go in my life with it. You know, I feel like it's a powerful little story. Yeah. I can't wait to finish it and get it illustrated and published. So. Oh, I can't wait either. I definitely want to read it. And I imagine that you probably have lots of such moments where you could have a whole series that could be really educational for parents as much as they are for for kids, Yes, you know, because they all have that little lesson in there. Parenting can be really stressful, but if you make it fun and connect with the child, it becomes more of a teamwork experience. So I'm so glad that you feel, you know, it's such a delight this morning to just hear you talk about what you felt where you just had children in the classroom, you know, and how we made you feel and and what you learned from us as well. Because for me, Mm -hmm. it wasn't ever just only about the child. It really was about connecting with the parents too. I loved the parents of the kids that came through. Mm -hmm. And, And one of the things I know with People finding out early that their children has a diagnosis of autism or or any other disorder, there's a grieving process that happens. And so there's actually some healing that has to go on for these parents' hearts to move into that acceptance. And, you know, it's just that their journey changed. 
we always have these expectations of what we think it's going to be like to be a parent and how our kids will be. I mean, of course, they never turn out like you dream when you're right. 18 years old or 20. You know, Everybody's dream is going to turn out different than they thought. But, you know, it, it, there is a lot of grief when they realize their kid is going to be a little bit unique and maybe not fit into all the norms. And and then to watch them embrace their child and fall deeply in love with them and embrace the journey with them as something that is actually has a deep spiritual connection for them. Mm-hmm. Because really, again, this is all, it's all spirit. It's We're all just this love and light. And when parents and kids realize that, it brings them together. Yeah. And I think that embracing that journey with your child, whether it's a, you know, within the normal spectrum child or a special needs child is what is so important to do because it is all about spirit and connection and family and being able to keep that as much positivity as possible between the home and the school and the outside world, whatever those interactions might be. Um, It's, you know, it's a challenge. And I remember when my kids were little, part of this whole idea that I had about how to parent properly was to never be punitive. Uh There's discipline and then there's punishment. And I never wanted to punish. So I think that's one of the reasons why I like the preschool so much and everything that you guys were doing. But like at home, I would watch my kids. And of course, you know, kids are going to have their moments where they get angry at each other. And then Cameron and Sophie would start arguing with each other. And I'd wait a minute and see if they could figure it out on their own. And if they couldn't work it out, I would just tell them, I think you guys should go to your rooms. And when you're ready to come out, you can come out. There was never a time frame on it. It wasn't like, you know, you have to stand in the corner or I'm going to take anything away from you. And at first they would just get up and go and kind of grumble. And then at some point they'd come out and sometimes they would go into their rooms after that and spend a couple hours in there because that's really, you know, they'd pull out a book or whatever, or take a nap. And other times they'd go in for five minutes, come back out, say they were sorry and go back to playing. And sometimes they would just look at each other and think, oh, it's not worth it. I'm not going to go in whatever here. You can have whatever toy it is that we're arguing over. And they really became very good at finding solutions for differences, finding tolerance for one another, understanding acceptable interactions. It built some temperance in for them so that they were able to just not sweat the small things and set priorities you know, is this something that's important and that I really need to stand my ground on? And if so, let me go in my room and figure out a good strategy so that I get my way. Or can I just let this go? And is life going to be okay? Let's place this in the right place in the hierarchy of important things. And that worked out really well. I was, you know, it was just being consistent. And, and that was, that was the way I parented them. I, you know, they, you sure did. They, that's beautiful. I, you explained it so so lovely too. Oh, thanks. I I love I love that because I can actually picture your children and see those qualities in them. Mm-hmm. It's great. You know, you. I'll tell you an experience I had. It was towards the end of my career, but um, 
We had an incident, it was September, and it was in the 90s. It was hot, 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 and it was the end of the school day. We're out on the playground. The kids, it's almost time to go home. We've just come in from playing, and they're sweaty, and they're hot, and they're thirsty, and they line up at the water fountain. And one of my boys who had autism jumped in front of the kid at the front of the line. And the kid was, he, he was just furious about that. He was very impulsive anyway, and he started swinging at this little guy. And he's pummeling him, and I'm close enough that I get them fast enough and separate them. But because it's time to go home, parents are at the fence, and they're videoing what's going on, and they're calling the office. And by the time all the kids had left, the principal had called the parents. They were both there from both kids, one with the father and the mother, and one just the mother. And and we went in a room, and it was like, oh, my goodness. And my principal said, everybody has been calling and saying, this boy's dangerous, the one that started swinging. Mm. And he said, they're saying he shouldn't be at this school anymore. And, of course, I felt so protective. And he wasn't even one of my on my caseload. He was just one of the typically developing kids. And I said, I am not going to send a four-year-old a message that he's dangerous. I said, I will figure this out, but it was a Friday, and I said, I I will have a solution on Monday for this, but we're not going to kick him out and tell him he's dangerous at four years old. I'm not ever going to see him through those eyes. So I went home, and I really really pray about the kids a lot for my spiritual guidance so that I could serve them, and I talked with my sister a lot that weekend. We came up with an idea for a kindness program that we would, instead of punishing kids, we would catch them being good, Mm -hmm. and my sister found these slap-on bracelets. You slap them on, but they had this big superhero head. We had Superman and Superwoman, and it had a little cape that came off of it. They were very highly motivating. And so when we went back to school, we introduced the program that we were going to start watching. And when we saw kids doing a kind deed or a kind action for their friends, we would stop everything and we would just say, oh, hold on. I just saw Betty helping Tommy with the blocks. And she is just uh, so kind to do that and to let him play with her. She gets to wear this bracelet for 10 minutes. And the reason we made it short is so we could reward a lot of kids really quickly. And the kids bought in immediately. And at first, they're just being kind to each other because they wanted to wear the bracelet. But as time passed, their actions became more genuine. And we, we slowed down how often we'd give them and how many we'd give them. And pretty soon, we pretty much forgot about the bracelets most of the day. But, you know, you just look at a kid and give them a thumb up or a wink. And they knew what it meant. They knew that they were being kind. And that group of kids became the easiest group to deal with for classroom management because they, they were really invested in each other and in being kind. But the little boy that was supposedly dangerous, that next Monday I took him to the side. And the gen ed teacher would always lead the group like to the bathroom or lunch or wherever. And I would always walk in the back so I could keep an eye on all the kids. And I said to him, you're going to walk back here with me because I said, you're not in trouble. I just want you to be the captain. Because as I mentioned, he, he was very impulsive. And I said, you have the kind of energy where you're not afraid to run in and rescue somebody. You could be a fireman someday or be out there protecting people as a policeman or something because you're not afraid to take an action and to move quickly. And I said, I need that back here. I said, we're going to make sure that wherever we go, we make sure our friends get there. And and that's your responsibility. You're the captain. You're going to be here and you're going to make sure nobody runs off or gets lost. And if they do, you're going to go over and, and, and get them and bring them back. And he took to that really well. And I also called in, he had two siblings at the school. He was a part of a blended family. And he was the only birth child of the couple. And the siblings were all much older than him. But they used to agitate him at home because they wanted to escalate his frustration. 
And I called the two kids that were still at, in elementary school. And I said, this is about your brother and this is his life. And you guys need to stop that. You're going to go home. You're going to talk to your big brothers and sisters. And you're going to say we, that you have to all get on the same page of being kind to him and teaching him how to slow down his emotions and make thoughtful decisions. And that family got behind this little guy. And as a matter of fact, he became one of the kindest kids in the room. Aww. And I have this wonderful video of he and the boy he uh, was frustrated with playing at the water table. I had put big pumpkins in the water table and they were trying to stack them on top of each other. And I have a video of him giggling and laughing and having fun. <laughs> That is beautiful. It's really about stemming that rash response where you just want it to stop. So you identify the problem in quotation marks, right? And it's like, well, we got to remove the problem. And if you find out why that's a problem, then you can address the issues. And it's building up a human being. There's a quote out there somewhere, or at least I, I heard somebody saying, you know, it's it's easier to build up a child than to put an adult back together again. Oh boy, that's the truth. Yeah. Kids are easy. <laughs> They're fun. They're easy to shift their energies. They want to have fun. And we have the power to do that, which is mm. really amazing. It's a beautiful thing to invest yourself in a child's life in a positive way and then see where that takes the child and who they become. And it's, you know, it's symbiotic. You grow at the same time. I mean, it's just being part of something that is bigger than yourself or your child in the end. Yes. And it can be fun. That's, I think, the part that as adults, we sometimes forget is that we don't have to be serious about all of it. We can make things fun. Um, And I'll tell you what, when you make kindness a value for kids, it's a lot easier. There's way less behaviors. And my saying to them was never miss an opportunity to be kind because I wanted them to learn that awareness that I should always be looking for ways to be kind, not just by inviting somebody, but just being aware of how other people are feeling too. And you think that little ones don't notice that, but they do. And it's surprising the level of compassion that you can see in young children, Mm -hmm. even three and four-year-olds. There's a lot of compassion and love that they just share between each other. And it's amazing to be in it. You feel like you're in a pool of love all day long, or at least I did. Yeah, well, that's what it felt like going there. I mean, it was just like this magical little place and I miss it so much. The center closed down and everybody moved on, but that magic. That was a sad day for us, believe me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and you have to fight for that to not happen too. So you've always been such a team player. I mean, I, that's why when I saw your website and you reached out to me, I, I was delighted to come on with you. You've always been such a joy to be around and so willing to jump in and go the extra mile for not just your kids, but for all kids and and the teachers and just so lovely with your huge open heart and your your get things done attitude. You, I mean, you you don't miss a step. When you see something, you dive in full 100%. It's always been fun to hang out with you and to be around you. Thank you. I feel the same way about you. I really appreciate that. Um, And now that that's closed down and everybody's moved on, it's like, the joy is spreading out. You've had the opportunity, you know, at first we were all coming to that beautiful place. And now you've gone out and been able to infuse so many other places just kind of spread out. And I, I think that's beautiful too. Um, you had an opportunity to travel to 
Kenya and Tanzania to visit a school that was co-founded by a friend of yours. That's so exciting. Oh my goodness. That was so much fun for me. I mean, and it was just the last day I had been invited to go on a safari with my uncle's wife because he didn't want to go. And we're the same age. So we just had a ball. But this family that we traveled with did help co-found this school and they had gathered up so much stuff to bring them. They had backpacks full of stuff that people had donated in their hometown and prepared for them. And they'd made little caps for their, you know, it was winter there, which was not too cold, but they had made stocking caps for each child. And the kids were delighted when they passed them out. And one of the fun things for me is, you know, I'm standing back watching because this is their relationship with these people. But, you know, I'm just looking for that window, that crack where I can connect with those kids because I'm watching them and they're singing to us and they're doing stuff to perform for us. And of course, I'm just one by one falling in love with all these beautiful little kids. (laughs) But one of the gals that we were traveling with, she had brought a Polaroid camera because, you know, these kids don't have cell phones. They're not taking pictures of themselves constantly like we are here. And so she was taking a picture of each of them in their new hat and with their things that we brought. And the kids had to hold their Polaroid and and wait. And so I started singing, shake it up, baby, shake it up, shake it up, baby. And then I got all these kids shaking their Polaroids and and dancing. (laughs) And and I I got out my phone to film it and I'm filming it. And they're coming towards me like in West Side Story when they're dancing in the street. It was just like that. I'm like, whoa, wait, you can run over me. But they loved it. And then I would show it back to them. And after they had done all their presentations and stuff, we went outside and they're playing and I would film them jumping rope or doing a poem. And I have all these little clips because then I would play it back for them so they could see themselves doing their poem, jumping ropes and play it. And they loved that so much because, you know, our kids are so used to that here, but that was pretty rare for them to get to watch themselves performing. And some kids really liked it. They'd do two or three or four things, you know, (laughs) wanting to come back and get filmed over and over. And some kids, they didn't care. But it was just fun for me. I just, you know, like I said, I don't care where I am. If there's a group of kids playing, I'm going to find a way in because yeah. my, my heart is just so childlike. And I, I do just love playing. I love to play. I love to play with the kids and just be part of their joy. I just love spending time with Cindy. She creates so much joy and curiosity in the world, and it's truly a treat to get to spend a morning talking with her about her approach to kids and life in general. Be sure to come back next week for part two of this fantastic talk. I'll add links to the show notes. Please take a moment to rate this episode. As always, your ratings move this podcast closer to the top of searches so that my friends and I can reach more people. I'm looking forward to sharing more upcoming In the Company of Friends talks with you. So be sure to follow me on the socials and the dot com, all at The Queen Trail Podcast. That's T-H-E-Q-U-A-I-N-T-R-E-L-L-E podcast. I am Syl Annan, the Queen Trail, and until next time, I wish you passion, grace, adventure, laughter, kindness, elegance, and beauty.